Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision with Dr. Bill, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. I want to welcome all of you to the program this evening as we talk about orientation and mobility. Our scheduled guest this evening is Dr. Diane Fozzi from Cal State Los Angeles. She is a doctor of orientation mobility, but unfortunately, for some particular reason, I can't get a hold of her, and uh, she is not on our call yet. So I'm going to do my best to describe. So this evening, I'll do my best to describe to you some of what I know about orientation mobility and what I have learned about orientation mobility from receiving the training myself and from the fact that we do offer this at our clinic, the Center for the Partially Sighted. Now, orientation mobility is a very, very specialized program that is designed to help people who are low vision or people who are totally blind to be able to orient themselves and to walk independently, whether it's at home or in their neighborhood or at work or even at strange places that they may have never visited before. Now, when I first heard about this term orientation mobility, it was something that was completely new to me. I didn't, I didn't understand what it really meant. And when I then saw some of the orientation mobility instructors providing that type of training to the people with low vision and those who were totally blind, I realized that most of the times these were patients who were then using a long white cane or they were using a support cane, but in both situations the cane was a white cane that had a red tip on it. And I thought, wow, this is something that is really, really helpful because then the people with low vision would be identified as having low vision and that would make it easier for them because people wouldn't always try to rush them. I know for myself, when I was diagnosed with my retinal disease and we were at Disneyland, I wouldn't take a cane. There's no way but I was not able to walk as fast as I would like to, and there were many times that people were getting a little bit frustrated with me or they were telling me to hurry up and go. Or when we were waiting in line to go on a ride, there were many times that I wasn't aware that the person in front of me had had began to move forward. So people would get a little bit impatient with me because I was a little bit too slow to begin to move when the line was moving. But even though I did understand that it could be helpful for me to use a cane just to let people that were behind me know that I'm not just really daydreaming or that I'm not a a, a bright person, but it was really that I wouldn't move because I didn't see that there was somebody ahead of me that had moved. So I thought having a cane would be a great idea. And I also realized that if I had a cane, I would have been able to walk 
up to the exits at Disneyland, and I wouldn't have had to wait in those lines to get on the Matterhorn or Space Mountain. But at that particular point in time, I was very, very resistant to having any type of assistance from orientation mobility. So I began to watch our orientation mobility teachers, how they would give different types of advice to the patients. And it was really, really helpful information. I used to think to myself, gosh, how come I never thought of that? For example, one of the things that they often stated was, if you are going to be walking down a hallway or if you're in line at Disneyland and you're not really quite certain which way that the line goes, there's usually going to be a wall or maybe there's going to be a chain and you could keep your hand up against that chain or the wall and you could trail it and you know exactly what direction that the line is moving. And I thought, boy, that is a great, great solution to help you to know which way you're going. If you don't keep your hand on the wall or you don't keep your hand on the chain, you don't have any type of feedback necessarily to know where you are. And one of the things that I know I used to do is I used to try to walk in the middle of the hallway because I thought it was better to walk in the middle of the hallway so that I didn't bump into the wall. But later I realized this is a really good, very easy technique that I could navigate within my home and I could navigate at work much more quickly and much more safely. And this is something that many people who have diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma, retinitis pigmentosa, many other types of conditions where it affects peripheral vision. They're able to walk more independently. And this is something that is very, very important because at our clinic, I see so many of our patients who have reduced peripheral vision that they don't walk. If they don't have somebody there, a friend or a family member or another person to help guide them, they won't walk. They just sit there or they'll just stand there. And they're going to wait until their friend or their loved one comes to assist them. But after we show them how by simply placing their hand against the wall, you can understand the direction of that hall and you're able to move much, much more safely. Another thing that I learned from the orientation mobility specialist also was how you can safely walk up and down stairs by using this similar type of technique. If you do come to an area that there's a staircase, there's a few things that I have found to be very, very common in these staircases. Number one, usually at the edge of that top step, there is a friction piece of rubber or another type of a friction tape. And you can feel that with the bottom of your shoe and that will prepare you to know that there are steps that are approaching. The next thing is that in many of these staircases, you will also notice that the sound in the staircase is different. For many staircases, the stairs are not going to be carpeted, so it's going to be a little bit louder in that area, a little bit more of an echo. 
And the third thing that I've noticed in the staircases is that there are almost always handrails. So what I learned to be a very, very helpful tip is that when I'm in a staircase, I would reach for the handrail. And once that I would reach and grasp the handrail, I could then understand what direction that these steps were going. I would extend my arm forward at somewhat of a 45-degree angle so that my hand was in front of my body, and it would then follow the guide rail of the handrail. And if it starts to incline upward, I knew that these stairs are going to go up. If it starts to go downward, then I knew that these stairs are going to be going down at that direction. And I would keep my hand on that handrail until I came to the very end. And usually at the very end, the handrail becomes level again. And so this is a very easy way that you can travel up and down stairs. And if it's a staircase that is for many flights, once you come to the end of that flight of stairs, you then could trail the wall and it will take you in a U-turn and you'll then be ready to go down the next flight of stairs. This same type of technique is also very helpful if you're going to be riding up and down escalators. When you feel that arm rest that's on the escalator beginning to change direction, you know that you're coming close to the end of that elevation on the escalator. So these types of what I call trailing techniques uh, were really very, very helpful to me. And it was something that really helped me significantly to travel inside my home. Believe it or not, even though I knew the layout of my home very, very well, when I first began to lose vision, my home was so dangerous for me. There were so many times that I would run into a, a corner and I would hit my forehead and I would cut my forehead open and, oh, it hurt so badly. But as I began to learn how to trail using my hands, then I could understand where the hallways were. I could feel the door jammed, so I knew this was an opening to the bathroom or this was an opening to a bedroom. I could follow things very, very easily that way, and I was able to walk much, much more safely. Another important rule that I learned through these mobility sessions, in addition to trailing with your hands and feeling for the arm rails as you're going up and down and listening to hear, are you in an area that's different terrain? I also learned that it's very, very helpful to tell people in your family how they could help you. And what I mean by that was, number one, keep doors completely closed or completely open. If a door is kept partially open, there's many times that you may think that that door is fully open and, and it's not. And as you are then going to be exiting, you may run right into the edge of that door and that door could very, very easily crack your head open. 
there's been a few times that I ran into the edge of the door that was partially open, and I cut my head completely open, and it was really, you know, a big, a big, big mess. So tell family members to keep the doors closed or keep them completely open, and that will make your life a lot easier. Another thing is to ask family members if they would be so kind that they wouldn't throw backpacks or purses or other types of things on the ground. One of the things that would always be difficult for me in my home is that with my two children who were in school, they would come home with their backpacks and they would just toss them in the family room. And I understand why they did that because that's a convenient place for them to toss them. So they would come into the house, they would toss their backpack right there, and then they would walk down the hall and then they would take off their shoes and leave them in the middle of the hall. And as I would walk through, I wasn't expecting there to be shoes on the floor or backpacks on the floor. And as I'm walking, I would often bump into those things and I would trip and I would get upset. Why do you guys leave this on the floor? Whose shoes are these here? Those are things that really became, you know, a problem. So I just said to them, hey, would you guys please mind just putting your backpacks and your shoes? You could leave them in these different areas, but not in the path that most people would walk to get into these rooms or to get from one part of the house to another. I explained to them that when they leave it there, it's just hard for me because I don't see it and then I might step on it and I don't want to break their computers or other things. And they they were kind enough to understand that. Another thing that helped out very, very much from what I learned from our orientation mobility staff is that they would often go to the homes of our patients and they would introduce themselves to the family members of our patients and they would ask those people to put on a blindfold. Some of the family members would put on a complete blindfold so that they could not see anything and other people would put on a simulator, what we call a simulator. And these are glasses where they're designed to be such that whoever is looking through it, everything looks blurry. And this would give the family members the experience of knowing what it's like to be visually impaired, what it's like to be totally blind. What is it like if you have reduced peripheral vision because of glaucoma or diabetes or retinitis pigmentosa? And in these situations where the family members were able to experience what it's like to be low vision, it really made a difference because then the family members and the friends understand what you're going through. And our orientation mobility staff would then take everybody out to breakfast. So they would go to a coffee shop and they would keep the simulators on. And everybody was always trying to take them off and said, no, you got to keep them on. But one of the things that was very effective about that exercise was it gave the family members the understanding of that experience of taking family members from the car into the coffee shop 
while they're wearing these simulators, whether they're blindfolded or that they have poor peripheral vision or poor central vision, it really helped them to understand what the person with low vision experiences, why they may be walking slowly, how difficult is it to find the steps, how difficult it is to know which way the door is opening if somebody doesn't tell you. And then when you finally are at your table, how is it that you decide what you want to order? How do you find your food when you have low vision? All of these types of things, I think, are very, very helpful. And this is something that is a very effective lesson that some orientation mobility teachers will do with the family members as well. Go to the grocery store. Try to go to the bank and the ATM and try to pull out some cash with your ATM. Go and have fun. Try something different, such as go bowling. Maybe you try miniature golf. Try to do these other activities even when you have the goggles and the simulators on because it helps these other friends and family members realize that you could still do these things. You could still go out there and have fun, but it's very helpful if those people that are around you give you the correct instructions. If they give you the proper instructions and the proper wording, that makes it much, much easier for you to get around. Now, another thing that is also very, very important about orientation and mobility is the fact that the use of a cane can be, in fact, the most valuable thing you could ever learn to do. And I'm only going to speak for myself because initially I avoided the white cane like I avoided the plague. I wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. They could buy me a cane. They could give me a cane. They could show me the different designs of canes. And I was not going to open or use any of those canes. And in my mind, the reason was, is that I am not totally blind, so I do not need a cane. I could still see. Maybe when I'm totally blind, I'll use a cane, but right now I have some vision and I don't need a cane. In reality, what I was also saying to myself was, I don't want to use a cane because that means I am a blind person. And I don't want to be put into that category with blind people. I want to still be one of the people who has good vision. So for me, that was one of my mental hang-ups that I thought if I accepted the use of a cane, that then meant that I'm blind and I'm in that category. But I want to be in the visual category. So I continued to be as stubborn as one could ever imagine. And our teachers continued to offer me lessons. Come on, Bill, let's go do a lesson of orientation mobility. Let's go to the park. Let's go here. Let's go there. They offered to take me to all these fun places. But I said, no, 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 I'm too busy right now. I got other patients and other things that I need to do. And when I went places with my family, I'll have to tell you something. I was tripping. I was falling. 
I was tumbling downstairs. I could never see those little concrete things in the parking lot. And we would go from our car to the movies or wherever that it was, and I would never see those things. And I was always tripping and stumbling. And I would get so upset when I stumbled because people that were around us, other people who were just going to the movies or wherever it was, they would see me walking and they could see me stumble and they would laugh. And I would get so angry. And I would say to my wife, why didn't you tell me there was that coming up? Or I'd say to my kids, why didn't you tell me that was coming up? And other times, we would walk together and they would tell me, Dad, hey, there's a concrete parking thing coming up. Look out. And I would say, I know. I see it. I see it. It was just a no-win situation for my family. If they told me and I was able to see it, I would get mad at them. If they didn't tell me and I stumbled over it, I would get mad at them. It really got to the point where I was just no fun to go any place with because they didn't know what they should or should not say. So I then started to learn sighted guide. And I didn't want to do sighted guide because I thought this looks terrible for a man to be holding on to the arm of his wife or his children. You know, I mean, that's pretty obvious to show that I couldn't see well. And with my ego, I didn't want anybody to know that I couldn't see well. But I realized that I needed to use this technique. Otherwise, it was just getting to be too difficult for us to go places. In other words, my inability to walk independently was affecting my relationship with my children. It was affecting my relationship with my wife. You know, I'm really surprised my wife just didn't leave me at some of these places because I was, I was such a, a grouchy old man. But as we then started to learn to do sighted guide together, it really made things a lot easier when we went places. And I didn't mind. I didn't mind the fact that I looked kind of strange holding on to the elbow of my wife or my daughter or my son. And then I also was taught a different technique where I could put my hand on the shoulder of of my wife or my daughter or my son. And when we traveled in that particular way, it seemed to be a little bit more comfortable for me. It didn't seem to look as awkward. So things were going really quite well in that way. And we would travel to different places and we'd go on vacation. But we were then going to go on a vacation to Hawaii. And I said to myself, I'm going to take the cane. I'm actually going to try using the cane because nobody will know me. So we were at the airport, Alley International Airport. There were so many people around. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try using this cane because it's just too hard to walk in here. I'm bumping into people. So I opened up my cane and I started to walk with it. And it was literally like the parting of the Red Sea. People were just getting out of my way. I could walk so quickly, so clearly 
people were so kind and courteous. They were getting out of my way. They would offer to carry bags for me and all sorts of things. And I said, my goodness, this cane really makes things a lot easier and a lot safer. And I said, boy, people are just really, really amazing. And I also noticed something with it is that when we were in Las Vegas and I wanted to see all the new hotels and things, I said, I'm going to use the cane because if I have the cane, I don't have to look at the sidewalk, but I could look at these hotels. And I was able to see all of those things. And I was forever very grateful that I let my ego go and I opened up that cane and I was able to travel much more safely, but I was also able to use my remaining vision and see certain things that were just so beautiful and so amazing. So after that particular point in time, I really came to understand how the cane made things easier for me. It made it safer for me to walk. I didn't I didn't worry as much about tripping and falling and getting hurt. I didn't worry as much about if I was walking with my daughter, my son, using sighted guide. I didn't worry as much that, my gosh, if we trip and fall, I don't want them to end up tripping and falling also. The cane helped me so that I wouldn't do that. And number three... The cane also really made a huge difference in the fact that it was a way that I could let people around me know that I didn't see perfectly. That was really, really beneficial because when people around me knew that I didn't see perfectly, they suddenly became much kinder. They were much more patient and they didn't yell at me the way that they used to. You know, there were a lot of times people would say, hurry up, hurry up. Why are you walking so slowly? And I'd say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I'm visually impaired, I'm legally blind. No, you aren't. I go, yes, I am. And when I had the cane, people would understand that, that I really was visually impaired, and people were very, very courteous. Now, when it comes down to these different types of canes, the most commonly used cane among the low vision population are the long white canes. And these are usually a type of a, a material that's very lightweight. The handle part that you hold on to is made out of a golf grip, like the grip from a golf club. And these particular types of canes are usually about the height where it comes maybe from uh, up to your armpit level. So the reason that there's a specific length of these canes is that it really helps you to estimate depth and how many more steps if you're going to be going up or down stairs and things. So it's very, very important that when you are going to use a cane, that you have an orientation mobility specialist measure you for the correct length. The second thing about these canes is that there are also different tips. Some tips are pointed like a pencil. 
And that was the first one that I started with. I would practice walking with it, and I would often, you know, come into interaction with these cracks in the sidewalk. And my cane, that pencil tip, would get stuck in these little holes or these cracks in the sidewalk. And that was a real problem for me because as I was walking, my stomach would then go into my cane and it was just something that slowed me down. So I then switched to what's called the roller ball tip. And this is where there is a ball on the end of the cane. It's about the size of a ping pong ball and it rolls. So when you have your cane on the sidewalk or whatever surface you're walking on, that little ball rolls. And if you come into a crack or a hole, the ball is usually able to just to get over it so you don't get stuck. And I really seem to like that much, much better. So for me, that is the type of cane that I use. I'm using a graphite cane. And my cane is one that folds up. So the cane is has a elastic band inside of it so I could pull each of these parts apart and fold it upon itself. And when it's all completely folded, it's probably only about 8, 8 or 10 inches long. So that works out really good because I could throw it into a backpack. I could throw it into a briefcase. I could stick it in my waistband. I could stick it in luggage. Or if I'm riding in the car or the bus with somebody, it's not getting in the way. So I have found this to be something that's very, very convenient, very, very effective for me. Now, there's other types of long canes that are available. And these these types of canes are non-foldable canes. So these are very, very nice. They're very, very lightweight. And they also are, again, the same color. It's white with a red tip. There are different types of tips. They have a roller type of a tip also that works out very, very nice. And these types of canes are available to people who are legally blind at no charge through the National Federation of the Blind. So if you are a person who's looking for a cane, but you don't have the finances for a cane, you could look into acquiring a cane through the National Federation of the Blind. You may also call ACV to see if they have other resources for canes. But the canes that I'm talking about, these canes, they, they are actually very affordable, and they do last a very long time. Uh, the canes that I have, I actually right now have three different canes. And each of these canes has, has lasted, you know, at least three years, and the price of the canes are about $45. Now, you may also acquire canes through the Department of Rehabilitation. If you're an adult, you can contact your state Department of Rehabilitation and tell them that you would like a consultation by an orientational mobility specialist. And they will usually come to your home 
and they will then observe how you get around, and they'll show you all of these different types of techniques, using your hands to trail, using the rails of the stairwells, listening with your ears to get a feeling of the changes in the texture or the terrain. Another great thing that I learned, and this is something that you could also learn with your orientation mobility specialist, is that when you do travel with friends, whether it's a husband or a wife or a good friend, if they need to leave you for a moment, let's say your husband or wife needs to go to the restroom and they ask you, do you need to go to the restroom? And you say, no, I'll wait for you right here. A good tip is that if they're going to leave you someplace by yourself, tell them to leave you next to a pole or to a wall or something that you could feel because it helps you to orient yourself in the room. If they leave you right in the middle of that foyer of the hotel, the next thing you're going to realize is that your feet, they sometimes will move without you thinking about it and then you're in a different location, or you're pointing in a different direction. And then you don't really know where you are. You start to get a little nervous. So you take a couple steps, and you're trying to find something that you are familiar with in there, and then you become very, very lost. So again, if you're with somebody and they leave you, tell them just to stand you up against the wall or next to a plant or a pole or something that you could feel because it really helps to orient yourself very, very well. Now, there's also other types of canes as well. There are some canes that are shorter in length and they are designed to help people who may have problems with their balance. Let's say that you're a person who has sprained your ankle very severely or you've had a knee replacement surgery or hip replacement surgery. You can have canes that will help to support yourself, and they could also be painted white with a red tip. These types of canes are very, very important, especially when we think about walking. Because we know that when people have low vision, people with low vision are much more likely to trip and fall, and break a bone. And that is because with low vision, we don't have the same level of depth perception. We also don't necessarily see if there's water on the floor, which might make it slippery. And we also know that many people with low vision have reduced peripheral vision, so there's blind spots. They won't see things on the floor. I know for myself, I would come home every day and I would try to go jogging. I try to stay in shape and it helps to control stress and all these things. And I thought that I was doing pretty well jogging. I live across the street from a school and around 5 o'clock there's nobody at the school. So I just run around the school a few times. And one day when I was walking, running around the block... I did not notice that my peripheral vision was as reduced as it was. So I'm running on the sidewalk, and the next thing, I collided into something. 
and it hit me in my shins, and I went to the ground, and it was so painful, and I felt my shins, my shins were just bleeding very, very terribly. And what it was is that I did not see a fire hydrant. I was running, and I could not even see a fire hydrant. That fire hydrant was something that really got in my way, and it really made me realize that, boy, I could really get hurt seriously if I don't start using some of these types of tools and things that I have learned. So I later started to learn that I could run with my long cane. It looked kind of funny. It was a lot more work, but it still got the job done. Later, I learned to exercise by simply using a treadmill. There's all sorts of treadmills that you could find in the newspaper. I think people are always buying treadmills, and they find that they actually don't use them. So those work very well also for exercising. If you're going to take a walk or you're going to jog by yourself, another thing that works out very, very nicely is you may also use a GPS system. If you have an iPhone or an Android phone, there's many different types of GPS systems that you can use. And these GPS systems will direct you step by step which way to go. These phones also have compass and with a compass it will set you towards that direction of where you need to be going so by using the compass on there you can orient which direction maybe you got to turn a little bit more to the right and now you'll be going up the sidewalk in the straight direction so that's another very very affordable type of tool Another thing that I'd also like to have many of you consider is a guide dog. Guide dogs for the blind and people with low vision are extremely helpful. I have many friends who have guide dogs, and these guide dogs give these ladies and gentlemen so much freedom and so much independence that they say that they travel across the country all the time just them and their guide dog. Now, in order to obtain a guide dog, you do have to complete a program of orientation and mobility. And from there, you can then be referred to one of the organizations that provides guide dogs. Now, when you do apply for a guide dog, if they accept you, you then will go to their facility and you stay there, I believe, about four weeks. And during those four weeks, that is when you really become familiar with the dog. It gives them a chance to see, does this dog really cooperate well with you, or would there be a different dog that would be better? And you learn how to do the things that you need to do with the dog. You learn how to bathe the dog, how to feed the dog, how to take the dog out to the bathroom. You know, if you work in a large building, you're going to have to take that dog out to go to the bathroom. And if the dog's going number one, you got to find a place that your dog could go and urinate. But if your dog has to go number two, you also have to learn how can you pick up the dog poop and throw it away. And it is just absolutely amazing. 
to see how people with low vision and people who are totally blind are able to catch the dog waste with a plastic bag, clean things up, throw it away without even getting themselves dirty. So guide dogs are something that I think are very, very helpful. They're very, very helpful for so many people. And one thing that I used to worry about is if I get a guide dog, maybe this guide dog won't be happy just staying underneath my desk at work. But someone said to me, well, what would your dog do if your dog was at home? Your dog would just be lying there waiting for you to come home. So your dog is probably happier being with you at work because there's more time that your dog gets to interact with you. So all in all, I would like to tell all of you that I believe orientation and mobility training is truly one of the most valuable things that you could learn if you have low vision. You may think that you're getting along very well and you're traveling very safely. But if you learn from an orientational mobility specialist additional tips, or maybe that you're going to carry around a cane just in the event that you're walking at night and you can't see quite as well at that point in time, the cane, it could prevent you from getting injured or could prevent you from getting run over. And the orientational mobility specialist has many, many other things that they can offer you and to give you that much more freedom as you're traveling. So to find a orientational mobility specialist, I think that you may contact different organizations, whether it's a optometry school, you can contact the CCLVI, you could find resources in our book, Insights into Low Vision, Or you could also send me an email, tell me where you live, and I will find you an orientation mobility specialist. To contact me, just send me an email at drbillfoundation, that's D-R-B-I-L-L foundation, at gmail.com. Tell me your name, where you live. And I will then find a mobility specialist in that area for you. So at this point in time, I'd like to open it up to any questions, and uh, I'll do my best to try to answer this. Remember, I am an eye doctor. I'm not an orientational mobility specialist. These folks who are orientational mobility specialists, they have master's degrees, and many of them have doctorate degrees. So they have gone to school for a very long time to study this unique art and science of orientational mobility. So if you have a question, uh, please unmute your phone by pressing star six. And if I do not know the answer, I'm going to ask some of the other people in the audience tonight to help me out. This is Ellen Mulder. I, I don't have a question. I have a couple of comments. You mentioned when you came to a stairway that you leaned over to find the railing. I want to caution people that they not bend over to find the railing. I fell down a whole flight of stairs doing that. You oh, have to put your body upright and feel. Some some railings don't come all the way to the top. So you have to feel with your feet and make sure your feet aren't 
too far over the edge before you find the railing. And the other comment is that some of the guide dog schools are only two weeks now. Guide Dog Foundation and Guide Dogs for the Blind only have a two-week program. Guiding Eyes has, has a, I think, 21 days, or just a little over three weeks. Oh, that's that's really nice. That's really nice. Thank Ken? you, Alan. Yes, Ken, go ahead. Two comments, uh, just three things and things. Escalate is one thing to keep in to to realize it, it makes escalators easier easier to find. Is usually there's a, a metal steel cover just below it, and just you know as you're approaching it, both from the bottom and the top, you can usually feel the difference in the in the pavement. It becomes metal, and they tend to be shiny metal too, which finds a lot of us low vision people find that very conspicuous that way. And in doors. When you're approaching a door and somebody sighted is walking with is helping you, I have developed a, a, a information thing to let them tell you which side it's hinged on and whether it's a pull door or push door. That helps a lot. I know a fellow with a guide dog always gets you know annoyed if the if the guide dog's on the side the door's opening can be pretty complicated. So have them say to you hinge hinge right pull door or push door hinge left. So you know which side the door is hinged on, and whether it's coming toward you or away from you, that, I find that very important. And when you're getting information from somebody who may not realize that you're low vision, like in a, in a retail store, you don't know where the bread aisle is, or my favorite example I mentioned in the book, it ties into low vision. If you're waiting on a, at a bus stop and both, two lines stop there, the number six and the number 13, you want the number six, so you're not going to know which bus is pulling up. Uh, so don't ask the driver, don't reach in and yell, you know, is this the number six? Because he's likely to shake his head yes or no, and that's not going to help you. So instead of asking, avoid yes or no questions is the point. You you say, which bus is this, sir? And then you'll either hear six or 13 instead of him shaking his head yes or no, that it's a six. And then when you're being escorted by, like you were saying, Bill, your wife or your daughter, uh, I find it works equally well if they are holding your arm, just like a, a typical traditional couple of man and wife, the wife is holding the man's arm. Now, because he's, he's blind, because that's the way couples used to walk, that I find that a woman, a sighted woman holding my arm, just like it happens traditionally, is equally good uh, as having you know me uh, taking hold of their uh, elbow. And then I'm mentioning canes, too, that the longer the cane is, the more likely it is to get snagged on the little grooves and things you mentioned on the sidewalk. So that's a trade-off, too, if you tend to be using your your long white cane on city sidewalks that have a lot of grooves and bumps and so forth. You might be better off with a little bit shorter cane so that it's more vertical when it hits those things and doesn't not as likely to catch them. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Real good advice. Does anybody else have any other suggestions? They'd like to share any questions? Dr. Bill, this is Tom. I have a question and a comment. Hi, Tom. How are you? Good. My question is, I'm just curious as to what the protocol may be. I use a cane, and when I'm outside, you know, on the sidewalk and stuff, I usually have my sunglasses on because light really bothers my eyes, okay? Yes. When I go inside... What little bit of vision I have left to distinguish uh, light images and like that, I take my glasses off. I'm still using my cane. My question is, I guess, 
what kind of a mixed message does that send to other people that see a guy with a cane but not, not you know, dark glasses on? Is that confusing to them? I'm getting a sense that sometimes I confuse people, but I want to know if there's a protocol. You know, Tom, that's a really good question, and I don't know that there is a protocol, but I feel that whatever is going to work best for you is what you should do. I think that what sometimes happens, though, is that when people see a person using a white cane, they often assume that that person is totally blind. So when they see you come into the house or into the building and then you take off your glasses and you have this white cane, they may then wonder, hey, I guess he he probably isn't totally blind. He must have some vision there. So I I say that you continue to use that particular technique that you do, and if uh, people were looking at you or they ask you questions, you could answer them at that point in time. Okay. I also have a comment about canes. I also have and use three different canes. And the, the one that I use the most, I guess, is when I'm downtown or in a store. It's a graphite segmented cane with a rolling uh, marshmallow tip, and it works good. However, when I'm at home out in the yard, I to me that cane is too flimsy. And so what I did was I built my own cane, and it's made out of just an old broom handle, you know, a hollow aluminum broom handle. And oh. I put a grip. And it, it's much more sturdy when I'm out in the yard, and I don't worry about breaking it or catching it as much as I do my good cane that I use downtown. But when I go to the mountains and I'm either hiking or going hunting with somebody, I built another cane, and it's made out of a, a wooden hole handle, and I bored out the end and put a bolt in it and sharpened it so it's, so it's got a little bit of a, you know, a point on it. And I, and I painted it red, white, and blue, you know, but basically it's a heavy-duty, you know, basically a walking stick, but people can tell that, that it's a, you know, a, a, a white cane. And so that's those, great. Three, those three different canes kind of, you know, work for me in different applications. Those are some great, great suggestions, too. I want to ask you something, Tom. What do these people see and say when they see that you're going to go hunting and you got your walking stick and then you pull out your rifle? Well, I haven't pulled out a rifle yet, but I'm going to be doing it this fall. And I'll I'll answer your question even better. Uh, We have a group here in Wyoming called Wyoming Disabled Hunters. And they and they take disabled folks hunting uh, that are uh, either handicapped or you know visually impaired, and we use a device on the on the rifle scope that attaches to the to the eye end of the scope, and then it also has a second piece that's kind of a viewing monitor for the hunting guide that can then stand right behind you. He's looking down on that viewing monitor. And it's showing him exactly what that scope is looking at. And with a series of hand signals, he can direct me as to left, right, up, or down. And as, and as soon as we're right on the money, then he can tap me on my head, and, then, and that's when I pull the trigger. Oh, that, that's, that is really, really smart. That is great. You're just like um, Dirty Harry then, huh, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, 
I'm going to have to come up there one day, and you're going to have to teach me how to go hunting that way. All right? We can do it. We can do it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your ideas of the canes that you made. Does anybody else have any other ideas of, of what you have done to assist with your orientational mobility, just like Tom? And I, you know, the thing that Tom brought up, which is so important, so, so important, is the use of sunglasses. And you may need different colored sunglasses for different temperatures or if it's slightly overcast. Uh, so remember, there's many different colored sunglasses that your eye doctor could show you. Does anybody else have anything else that they'd like to share with us? Dr. Bill, this is Kathy Lyons. Hi, I Kathy. I first wanted to compliment you on your authentic presentation. I can relate to so many of the things that you said. And by oh, making it your own personal experiences, it came across in a way that people can look at it and say, gee, that happened to me. <laughs> Whereas you weren't talking to them as if they were making the mistakes. So I think that was a really great way to do it. Oh, thank you very much. I yeah. have used a lot of these things. You know, I have, it's like RP. And so I always vi used to orient visually. And I used to wear sunglasses. Well, now it doesn't matter because if I put them on or off, I see the same thing. Nothing. <laughs> White oh. glare. Yeah. Um, and so it's been a, uh, I don't know, adventure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just, you just learn one way to cope with a certain situation, and then things change, and you can't do that anymore. You have to do a new way and stuff like that. So right now, in fact, recently I was crossing a six-lane highway near my house and ended up in the middle of the street with cars going in front of me and behind oh, me. Oh, no. It was very scary. So I called. I do use a guide dog, but he was used to me orienting visually. So instead of pointing my body toward 12 o'clock, my body, unbeknownst to me, was pointed toward 10 o'clock. And that's where he took me. Oh, so, no. Uh -huh. So I went up to my guide dog school, who happens to be guiding eyes, and did refresher. So now I have to become more aware of what's under my feet, what am I listening to, things like that that I never had to do before. So it's a whole new game now. Yes, that's true. That's true. And when a person has a little bit of vision, you may be able to see the bold white line in a crosswalk. But when you don't have any vision and you can't rely on that slight visual clue, you you do have to use other senses. Yes. Gosh. Well, I'm glad that you you made it out of that predicament safely. And uh, uh, I, I never I, prayed I, so hard in all my life. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine. Well, God bless you. <laughs> Another concern I have is that um, in the state of Utah, all of the O and M instructors are blind. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and I'm wondering if there is some way that if there were a person in Utah that needed these skills and that the skills they were getting weren't adequate because of the resources available, would they not be able to go to another program and have Utah send them there? I don't know. That might be particular to Utah. But it seems to me that, you know, if skills are needed, they're needed. And, uh, yes. I, you know, 
I I would say that if you are a person who has some vision, it's very important that your orientation and mobility teacher also teaches you how to use your vision also. You know? Right. So yeah. I, and I'm I to the point now where I need to learn things like I guess they call it facial vision, when you can tell when you're near a building line or not near a building line. Using the sound of the traffic as a guide for keeping you straight. You can use a compass for that also, but um, like on Delaware Avenue here, it's that's six lanes. So if I hear Delaware traffic and I'm traveling on Delaware, that's a really good sound to keep me straight. Okay. But, you know, these things that totally blind people have been using for years that we, I personally never heard of before, and now I need to use them, and I'm not sure it totally what they all are. Yes. Well, I believe that if you lived in Utah, for example, and you wanted a orientation mobility instructor who had vision, I believe that you would be able to request that, and I would think that you would be able to get somebody there to help you. I know, for example, we have had people who live in Canada and they have sent them down to Los Angeles to receive their orientation building instruction. Mm-hmm. And the the National Health Care Services of Canada has paid for everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I would think that that should be something that you can ask for in uh, Utah. It would logically seem that way. So yes. Hope, yes. hopefully we can work with that and make something happen. Yes, and if if these situations do come up with any of you, again, send me an email to drbillfoundation at gmail, and I will I will then get in touch with some of the um, organizations of orientation mobility specialists and see how we can help. That's okay. Thank you. Well, I want to thank all of you for your your patience in listening this evening. Again, I apologize. I hope that uh, Dr. Fozzi is okay. I want to thank you, Mr. Dick Burden, as always, for recording this. This podcast will be available at the CCLVI website, and it will also be available at airsla.org. That's www.airsla.org. And we'll have that available uh, on the Internet for you uh, next week. So, again, I thank all of you very, very much for your attendance. And we look forward to seeing all of you again next month as we talk more about low vision. Good night, everybody.